the triumphal entry. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Belthage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, tell him the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down, the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all of the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The, days will, the day will come when upon you, the day will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Thank you very much, Diane. There were so many very good scripture readers uh, to choose from, and certainly Diane's one of them. You know, oftentimes you'll call this week Holy Week, and keep in mind there are various things this week. We're not having Wednesday night activities, uh, except I believe the youth group is meeting, but Friends Club will not be. But Thursday night we have our Monday Thursday service at 7 p.m. here. Keep that in mind. Then from 10 to noon on Saturday we have the Resurrection Egg Hunt, followed by a cakewalk of some sort. I'm interested in, I saw a cakewalk once. Um, Sounds like fun. So, anyways, looking forward to next weekend as we celebrate Resurrection Weekend. As we think about that, we have the beginning of this Holy Week, which was a triumphal entry, which, you know, Diane just read about. You know, and as I, am, as I was even listening to Diane read the passage, I was thinking about more things about the passage and thinking, oh, I should share, you know, this or point out this. And so... The sermon might go an hour or two longer, and that's okay, right? Um, you know, a few years ago, in 2013, I ran a marathon. It was the first uh, for me, and I'm maybe the first of three and no more. But, you know, Marathon is named after the Battle of Marathon, which took place in 490 B.C. The name Marathon comes from the legend of Phytopides, a Greek messenger, the legend states that he was sent from the battlefield of Marathon to Athens to announce that the Persians had been defeated in the battle of Marathon, in which he had just fought, which took place in August or September of 490 B.C. 
It is said that he ran the entire distance without stopping and burst into the assembly exclaiming, we have won before collapsing and dying. So we thought we'd all see if we could do it without dying. And, uh, well, but remember, he had just fought a battle, and then he ran. And now marathons are 26.2 miles, but we really don't know the exact distance that he ran. It might have only been 22. And so, you know, some of us are running extra miles. But, you know, it was victory. Do you ever think about victory? Victory is exciting, isn't it? It's exciting to be a victor. It's exciting to be on the winning team. That's why Browns fans have no excitement anymore. Sorry, I just had to throw that in. Um, maybe they will again. They're just in the desert right now, you know. Moses will come um, after a few more head coaches. Victory is exciting, though. It's exciting. I gotta just move on. I'm thinking about something else about the Browns. They have this like group meeting for Browns coaches who are just down and depressed. Anyways, Hebrews 10, 11 through 12 says, at Hebrews 10, 11 through 12, every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, which is Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus is the victor. The other priests are standing. They're standing every single day. Now, this is in the Mosaic uh, system. They're standing, they're standing every day, making the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But Jesus is the victor. He made the sacrifice once and for all and sat down. He sat down at the right hand of God. Today we're looking at a passage where Jesus humbly enters the city of Jerusalem. He is hailed as king. He accomplishes his ultimate victory by doing something counterintuitive. He dies for the people he came to save. He brings victory through death. He offers the one sacrifice for all time, which was through death. It's counterintuitive, isn't it? To think of the victor dying. But that's how God did it. That's what needed to happen. We read Luke 19, 28 through uh, 44 a few minutes ago. And so let's look at the passage right now and talk a little bit about it. In verses 28 through 35, we see the preparation. We see the preparation for Jesus entering Jerusalem. Notice the Bible says, after he said these things. The Bible says, after he said these things, or after he had said this, this is in verse 28, Luke 19, 28. After he said these things, he was going on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. Jesus had just been given the parable of money usage. Now, Jesus had been in Samaria. From Luke chapter 9 to Luke chapter 19, people call it the road to Jerusalem. Those 10 chapters are Jesus' road to Jerusalem. He's, he's walking toward Jerusalem, and he tells 10 parables in Luke's gospel, and they are not in the other gospels. These 10 parables are only in Luke's gospel, such as the parable of the prodigal son, only in Luke's gospel. The parable of the good Samaritan, only in Luke's gospel. They're only there. And Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem. He's making his way up to Jerusalem. Now, it will, it will always say 
up to Jerusalem. The elevation at this point is about 2,600 feet, 2,600 feet. And from it, you have a breathtaking view of the holy city. The Lord was about to do something he had never done before, something he had repeatedly cautioned others against. He was going to allow himself to be worshipped. He was going to permit his followers to give a public demonstration in his honor. Sometimes we call this the great secret. In gospels such as Mark's gospel, they will talk about him being Lord, and Jesus will constantly say, go and don't tell anyone about this. Now he's going to allow a public demonstration in his honor. Now he's going to allow himself to be worshipped. Now we have a parade. And you know what it is like to travel, and then you have this breathtaking view of a, of a, of a city or of a landscape or of a mountainous region? That's the view they are seeing as they look down on Jerusalem. Now, Jesus sends two of his disciples on a mission. They are to go into this other village and find a colt and just take it. When asked, they are going to say that their Lord or Master has need of it. Now, don't try this at home. This was just for Jesus' followers. You cannot go steal a car today and say the Lord has need of it. We all know that, right? But it works out. It's really cool. They do this. It happens just like Jesus says. They go to the village. Someone does ask, and they take the colt. The guy asks. He says the Lord has need of it. The man makes no big deal about it. It works out. In verses 36 through 38, we have the adoration. This is what I call the parade. It's the parade. Jesus is entering Jerusalem. Let me reread verses 37 through 38. It says, as soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen. They were shouting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. The people were spreading their cloaks along the ground as they did this. Notice that Jesus receives worship. I once had a Jewish rabbi ask if Jesus ever said he was God. We were walking through the Creation Museum outside Cincinnati, and we walked through it with an interfaith clergy group, and there were two Jewish rabbis with us. And one of the rabbis said, did Jesus, did Jesus ever say he was God? And Jesus did actually say he was God. He did actually say he was the Messiah. You can see John 4, 26 for that. But Jesus also received worship. Angels told the people not to worship them. You can see that in Revelation 22.9. Actually, two times in the book of Revelation, the angel says, do not worship me, only worship God. Jesus receives worship. And he can receive worship because he is God. By the way, notice the commonality of the gospel. The people worshiping Jesus were common people. This was a grassroots event. Many, after all, Jesus had been going to the common people. 
And he had healed many of them. And now Jesus is worshipped. Jesus went to the common people. Like I said, Luke chapter 9 through Luke chapter 19. They're in Samaria. There was major division between Samaria and the Jerusalem Jews. But Jesus went to the common people. He constantly went to the common people. Even when the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes were against him. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes are against him right now too. There's a parade going on. Jerusalem's population would swell for Passover. And it is now during this time that these people are all worshiping Jesus. It is amazing. Jerusalem's population. Jerusalem's population would swell sometimes ten times as large as it usually was during Passover. As well as during Pentecost. And these are two times when God did amazing miracles for his people. At Pentecost, of course, you have the Holy Spirit. And at Passover, which is when it had to happen, is when Jesus was our great Passover lamb. You know, one thing I liked about in the marathon, it was like a big parade. As I ran along, there would be people on the side of the road cheering you on. In this case, people were cheering on Jesus. The person who deserves the cheering. The person who deserves the worship. He is the king, the true king, the eternal king. In fact, as they threw their coats on the road, this was something that meant I surrender to you. It was symbolic of letting the person on the donkey walk over you. But instead of letting Jesus walk over them, he was walking over their cloaks or their palm branches. They were surrendering to Jesus. They were surrendering to him. This was submission. This was submission. Jesus is now worshipped. This is the adoration of Jesus. So in verses 39 through 44, we have the condemnation by Jesus. The Pharisees miss Jesus once again. They asked Jesus to make the disciples stay quiet. And Jesus said if they were quiet, the rocks would cry out. Isn't that powerful? Jesus will be worshipped now and later. Jesus will be worshipped. Here he's saying, if they are silent, the rocks will cry out. All creation is worshipping Jesus. Now Jesus approaches Jerusalem and he weeps over the city. Then he pronounces judgment. Have you ever felt like you could see that something was going to happen in the future? And I'm not saying that you were a prophet, it was, but just, you know, intuition, whatever you call it. Well, you know, Jesus is the prophet, priest, and king, the greatest of them all. And Jesus being omnipresent, it was like he knew what was going to happen to Jerusalem. And I imagine that as Jesus was riding that donkey down into Jerusalem, he saw. It was like the veil was open, the curtain was opened. And he saw what was going to happen to Jerusalem. In AD 66 through AD 73, Jerusalem was conquered. The temple was turned, torn down and burnt down. Never to be that built that way again. Jesus saw that image in his mind and he weeps. He weeps. Imagine what that was like. He pronounces judgment and he says this in verses 42 
through 44. He says, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave you, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another. Because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Jesus sees this future time. Jesus has already told about it. He'll tell about it again. This was Jesus' condemnation. And although Jesus is condemning them, I think Jesus was hurt. Because Jesus knew this was his chosen city. This was his chosen people group. And he knew what was going to happen. Following this, Jesus will go and he will cleanse the temple. For a second time, actually. He cleanses the temple twice. Then Holy Week will continue until as our king, he dies in our place and then he rises again. He was our sacrifice and this is why we meet today. Jesus is our mighty savior, worshipped by common ordinary people, and he dies for us. He dies for us. In Hebrews 10, 11 through 12, I'm going to read that again. Hebrews 10, 11 through 12. Every priest stands daily, ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. So the question is, what and or whom are you trusting for your sins? You may not be trusting the Jewish Levitical system of a priest that stands daily offering time after time useless sacrifices. But we're all trusting in something. Many are trusting that they're good enough. Many think... I've got enough good, and that outweighs my bad. Well, if that were the case, and if that worked, then the cross was not necessary because you could earn it. The Bible doesn't go that route. You know, I talked about marathons, and in the battle of Marathon, the messenger died. He died. And Jesus died for us. And in a metaphorical way, Jesus calls us to die to him as well. Luke 9, 23 and 24, Jesus says, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. Jesus calls us to die to self and live for him. Are you dying to yourself and living for Jesus. Oftentimes we make salvation too easy. It is easy. We're saved by grace through faith. It is, you know, we don't have to do anything. But Jesus did call us to count the cost. He does call us to be followers of him. He does call us to commit to him. Jesus is the king. He calls us to surrender to him. that is the challenge, isn't it? I find in the church that oftentimes we surrender to him. But I also find oftentimes 
we are only surrendering to his values. As long as we agree with those values, we are comfortable. But if those values challenge our way of life, like call us to sell something and give more money to the poor, or call us to do something different, then we're not surrendering to him. When his values call us to love our enemies and do good to those who harm us, that's a little too far. We do not surrender to him. Are we surrendering to Jesus daily? Are we trying? I know, I know it's hard. I'm not saying it's easy. But you know it doesn't have to be hard. It just has to, it has to um, do with whether you are walking by the Holy Spirit and trusting the Holy Spirit's help. For Jesus told us to take his yoke. And Jesus told us to give him our burden. And if we live in God's strength, I don't think it has to be so difficult. Too often we are trying to live our Christian life on our own strength, not on the Holy Spirit's strength. Contrast right here. This next week, I would encourage you to read the gospel account of this week. You know, and Jesus is teaching and later on, Jesus' death on the cross. And look at the disciples when Jesus is captured and crucified. And compare them there to after Pentecost. Because when Jesus is captured and when he's being questioned and when he's being tortured and he's being beaten, all the disciples fled except for Peter. And John might have been there too. And Peter denied Jesus, but he was there. Sometimes we get on him for denying, but he was there. The others fled. But Peter, who denied Jesus there, gave this awesome sermon at Pentecost. What's the difference? The Holy Spirit is the difference. Live the Christian life by the Holy Spirit's power, and he will help us to submit and to surrender to him. I'm going to give you something extra. If you go to 2 Kings chapter 17, I shared this with my Sunday school class, but I promise I will not go as long on it uh, in the sermon as I did in Sunday school. But in 2 Kings chapter 17, the northern kingdom of Israel had fallen. They had fallen to Assyria. It's 722 B.C. And the northern kingdom of Israel is falling. And they're being conquered. And God says he, he, he took them out of his sight. And in 2 Kings chapter 17, starting at verse 7, God tells them why. God tells them why he quit protecting the northern kingdom of Israel. And I was reading this this past week in my own, you know, spiritual time with God. And I was reading this, and it, it just struck me. And starting at verse 7, this is what God says. It says, now this came about because. This is why. Because the sons of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up from the land of Egypt, from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And they had feared other gods. And they had walked in the customs of the nations whom the Lord had driven out before the sons of Israel. And in the customs of the kings of Israel, which they had introduced. The sons of Israel did things secretly which were not right against the Lord their God. Moreover, they built for themselves high places in all their towns from watchtower to fortified cities. They set for themselves sacred pillars and ashram on every high hill and under every green tree. 
And there they burned incense on all the high places, as the nations did, which the Lord had carried away to exile before them. And they did evil things, provoking the Lord. That's verse 11. They served idols concerning which the Lord had said to them, you shall not do this thing. Verse 13. Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah through all his prophets and every seer, saying, turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments, my statutes, according to all the law which I commanded your fathers and which I sent to you through my servants, the prophets. However, they did not listen, but stiffened their neck like their fathers who did not believe in the Lord their God. They rejected God's statutes and his covenant, which he made with their fathers, and his warnings with which he warned them. And they followed vanity and became vain and went after the nations which surrounded them, concerning which the Lord had commanded them not to do like them. They forsook all the commandments of the Lord their God and made for themselves molten images, even two calves, and made an Asherah and worshipped all the host of heaven and served Baal. Then, verse 17, they made their sons and their daughters pass through the fire. That means they sacrificed their children to these pagan gods. They actually burned them and killed them right there on the altar, their babies. And they practiced divination and enchantments and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him. So the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his sight. None was left except the tribe of Judah. God calls us to surrender to his ways. God's ways are best, our ways are not. But more than that, God gives us the Holy Spirit to help us live for him. The kingdom of Israel did not surrender to him. And eventually, God allowed the kingdom of Israel to be conquered. And later, he even allowed the southern kingdom of Judah to be conquered in 586 B.C. I was reading this passage, and I couldn't help but think about the United States of America at this time. Now, don't make me say what I'm not saying. The United States of America is not and will never be Israel. <laughs> we will never be God's chosen people. That belongs to Israel. That's not us. But when we follow God's ways, we will have common grace. Common grace. We will have blessings. But when we follow the ways of the world, which are always described as being anti-God, we will have common cursing. We will not be blessed by God. We will not have his natural protection. And it seems as though the United States of America is continuing to leave God's ways. I'm not saying we were all Christians before, but at one time we did have common values. Common values which came from the Judeo-Christian values. And with those common values, we had common blessing because we followed God's ways. As we leave God's ways, it seems as though God is taking his hand off of us. And what we need to do is go back to God's ways. But the only answer to that is the gospel. I mean, we could live by God's ways, and I believe we will be blessed. I'm not talking in riches. I'm talking in the way we live. Because God's ways are best, my way is not. But what we ultimately need to do is to bow our knees and surrender to Jesus as Lord and Savior. What we ultimately need to do is go back to the core and it's not about living by God's ways 
without knowing Jesus. It's about knowing Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior and then letting the Holy Spirit tell us and convict us and transform us to live for God's ways. Are we letting ourselves do that? Let the Holy Spirit transform you into who God wants you to be. Surrender to him. Live for him. And when we look up and we watch the news and we look at all the stuff going on, realize the ultimate problem is the world needs Jesus. And they don't just need, you know, a casual belief in Jesus. They need a surrendering belief in Jesus. Will they surrender to him, bow to him, and let Jesus transform their lives by the Holy Spirit? And one by one when we do that, Jesus can redeem a culture and redeem a people group and redeem us and bring us back. But it doesn't happen when the church lives like the world. I should point at myself too. It doesn't happen when we live like the world. We need to be different. We need to be countercultural. We need to surrender to Jesus every day and recognize his ways are best, our ways are not. As we go through this week, take a few moments and pray about surrender. If Jesus came back right now, what is something that he would ask us about? Some thought or action. Repent and surrender. By the way, repent means to turn around. You're not repenting and turning to Jesus if you're walking the same way. You turn around. It's a military idea of turning around, about face. What is something you haven't done that you know that God wants you to do? This week, take some time and reflect on your spiritual life. Grab your Bible, a pen and paper, and take some time and ask God to show you some things to work on. Read Psalm 42, and as you do, pray that God, pray that you desire God like that psalmist. As a deer pants for streams of living water, so my soul pants for you. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Read Psalm 42 and apply that to your life. And keep your eyes on Jesus. Let me pray at this time. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you went to the cross for us. We thank you that you entered Jerusalem even though you knew it would be very difficult. That's, a, that's an understatement. That's the greatest understatement of all time. But you entered Jerusalem knowing what you were going to face. You did that for us. You went to the cross. You died for us. You rose again. You did something that the, the, Hebrew, uh, the, the Hebrew priest could not do. You did something that the animal sacrifices could not do. You became our perfect sacrifice. Jesus, help us to surrender. Jesus, help us to live for you. We can only do that by the Holy Spirit. We need your help. We need your help. And for those gathered right now who have not surrendered to you, may today be the day of salvation. May today be the day when they repent. They confess, Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. They believe, Jesus, that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by you. And they commit to you and trust in you. And then, Jesus, in the power of your Holy Spirit, we do the about face. We turn from living for the world to living for you. Lord, help us. Holy Spirit, help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand if you're able for the fi final hymn, 249, 249, all glory, laud, and honor.